0: Well, praise the Lord. We are going to be over in the book, the Gospel of Luke today. As I was looking to put this together, I'd actually come up with uh, we were we only had a couple of people asked about the um, the the one the parable I told you about last time with the neighbor who came to beseech for a traveler, and so I thought, well, let's, we'll probably just go ahead and and skip this. And I'll just send the people who asked about it, just a link to the, the old teaching on that. And I was getting into the, the other parable, the last parable we were actually going to get into, which is in Luke, uh, Luke 18. And that is about the persistent widow. So I was looking at this one. I said, well, this one has a lot of persistence in it too, so maybe we'll tack this one on at the end. So that was my second way to go. I'm uh, so going to tack this one on at the end or the beginning and just kind of give a little review on it. But then I was get to look over this more. I says, well, we really can't get into this one without getting into what went in before. And what went on after, and if we do that, we're really going to be pushed for time. That I so we just said, all right, forget it. We're just we're going to be over in Luke chapter 11 today. We're going to take a look at the friend who comes at midnight, and understand the things that 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 is to teach us. Now, in order to understand what Jesus is teaching us in this particular parable, and this parable on persistence. We have to know what God teaches us on prayer. As we understand what he teaches us on prayer, we'll come to understand what this passage means and what this teaches, What this passage teaches us to do in prayer. Now, in order to do this, I want to review something on Wednesday night because I have been uh, made aware every once in a while that not everybody listens to Wednesday night. And one of the things that we do, one of the purposes we have here in church, and we've had this all the time that we're, we're here, you'll notice that we give you a chapter to read every every week, and many of you are going along with that, but it's always in the New Testament. I've had a couple of people come to me every once in a while and say, why don't we do the Old Testament? Do the Old Testament. I'd love for you all to go through the Old Testament. I can't really have you go through the Old Testament in a year. Now, the church that we patterned off of, uh, Keith Moore was doing this with his church, and I thought it was great, so we patterned off of it. He sometimes will go over into the Old Testament, and that's fine. That's along with his purpose. Brother Keith Moore and I, we do have some similar things. We also have some things that are very different about about it here. If you ever listen to Brother Keith's teaching, he is almost 100% out of the New Testament. If you listen to teaching here, we are not. We go into the Old Testament equally as much as we go into the New Testament, and sometimes even more. Because I never look, not not saying that Brother Keith does, I don't think he does, I never look at the Old Testament as a second-rate part of the Bible. Well, this is the outdated, this is the, the new. I don't look at it that way. I look at them both equal. Because any teaching I see in the New Testament, I can find somebody who did it in the Old Testament. And so whenever we're teaching these things, we'll spend time on this and we show you who did this, whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. It is more important for me that instead of you just reading through the Old Testament, that you know the people in it. And so many of these other churches, they don't spend time on characters or books in the Old Testament. They may refer to them every once in a while. I won't do that here. We will spend time on on different ones. Just in the last couple of years, we've gone over the books of Zechariah. We've gone over the books of uh, of, uh, Haggai. uh, Ezekiel, we covered that entire one. That took us over a year to get through the whole book of Ezekiel. We've been looking at Ezra. We're into Nehemiah now. We have made studies on the lives of Joseph, the life of David, the life of Saul, the life of Samuel. We have um, Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob. We've covered all of them. We've covered the entire book of Genesis from from chapter 1 all the way up until the end. Because I want you to be familiar with the people in the Old Testament. I want you to know them. I don't want you just to read through. I want you to know who they were and what they did, what kind of challenges they faced. That's that part's important to me. When we looked at this on Wednesday night, I know not everybody will, will hear this, but some of the things we went through in, in Zechariah. We looked at how you can tell false prophecy from true prophecy. We also looked at some of that, I believe, in the book of Ezra. I think there's another place in, the, in there. We, we looked at that. Ezekiel, we hit on it as well. But Zechariah gave us a unique opportunity to look at how you can tell the difference between truly interpreted prophetic word a true prophetic word and its real interpretation compared to a real prophetic word and its misinterpretation. Because if you misinterpret what God said, it will hurt your life nearly as much as accepting a false doctrine or a false prophecy. So it's important for us to know that. So... Not just, you can go back and you can, it's only a couple weeks ago we did this. If anyone doesn't know where it is or needs to find it, I will be happy to give you the whole thing. But I just want to review this for you because it will help us understand this today. There are four parts to how you can understand that a prophecy has been misinterpreted or is rightly interpreted. Four things that will help you that. Put it into four different words. The first word was Revelation. The first word was revelation. If you're here on Wednesday, this is just review. If you don't get to listen to them, this might be nudie. I gave you a little extra space up there in the top, but not probably nearly enough for all that we're going to go over here. First one is revelation. Is the word a revelation or a realization of things desired? That's the first thing you want to look at. Some of the things that people, they'll listen to a word and they're just realizing, well, looking at how things are today, that probably means that they're using their mental capacities. They're figuring it out. Prophecy is revealed. Jesus spoke of the disciples. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. You're looking for something that is revealed. Revelation. Is the word a revelation or it is a realization of things that are going on? Sometimes you'll hear people interpret a prophecy. Well, that's because the world is going this way or this is happening. It's just that they're just realizing some things. It's not a Revelation. Second is isolation. Is the prophecy isolated from other words spoken or written? Is it isolated? What will happen when people misinterpret a prophecy and try and feed it to you? They must isolate it from other places in Scripture. They must isolate it from other people and what they have done, and they must isolate it from other teachings that are in the Word of God. The third one was persuasion. Does the Word encourage or enlighten our way toward obedience, correction, or his promises or embolden us to disobedience or self-righteousness by appeasing our flesh. If it is a true word from God and people have properly interpreted it, it will encourage you, it will enlighten you, and it or enlighten you on your way to obedience. I'm going to obey God more. I'm going to want to obey God more because of this correction or along his promises. This is what it's going to do. It's going to steer you into these directions. A misinterpretation of the word will encourage disobedience. we will actually empower disobedience because I feel like this is good. That's important to know, especially for what we're going to look at here today. The fourth is separation. Is the prophecy separated from what the world thinks or is in agreement with it? Because God does not think the way the world thinks and the world does not think the way God thinks. If a word of prophecy is interpreted to you in such a way that the world says, yeah, I think that's right, it is probably wrong. The world does not understand the things of God. Those four things, revelation, isolation, persuasion, and separation, those things will help you. We use an example in Scripture of just the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. We know that there are prophetic messages about this, but if you're going to have a wrong interpretation, a wrong understanding of it, then, well, we we just use these laws right here. First off, was the prophecies about the uh, second coming to Christ or the rapture of the church was it revealed knowledge or was it something that people just figured out? And it was revealed knowledge. Paul especially got it from uh, his time in heaven, where God gave him revelation of the church and revelation of the rapture, and he was the one who came down and taught us about that. Jesus taught us some things about the second advent. It was revealed knowledge. So, Secondly, it was not isolated. There's not one place where this thing is is taught. There's not just one place where the second advent is taught. There's not one place where the where the um, uh, rapture is taught. These things are put in many of places. So we're not just we don't have to isolate it from anything. The understanding persuades us to live in an obedience obedient life to God, because I'm getting ready for His return. And uh, lastly. It is separated because the world scoffs at our expectation of Jesus Christ coming for us. It scoffs at it. So if you just pair that up with these things, you can see how that, that works. We spent a little bit more time on it on that Wednesday night. If you are interested in it, you can go back. But I wanted you to have those four principles because it will help you understand this. Because what has come from Jesus' teaching in the parables on the uh, on prayer in these two particular parables has been so misunderstood, people are doing things that will not line up with those four principles that I just gave you. Here in Luke chapter 1, we're going to first off cover the teaching that he does before. And this, where he says, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place that he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So John taught his disciples how to pray. They saw that Jesus was praying. They said, Teach us how to pray. So he said to them, When you pray... Say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I don't want to break this whole thing down. There are some things that you can learn about this. But one of the things Brother Hagin used to teach us about this prayer is nowhere in this prayer is the name of Jesus. Nowhere in this prayer is the authority of Jesus Christ. That's all missing from, from this prayer. This is not necessarily a New Testament prayer. This is not a place where you ought to live. But there is an outline in this prayer. But what happens is we don't take the outline. We take the format. And so we decide, you know what? I'm just going to repeat this prayer. And so a lot of people, they repeat this prayer. And this is their prayer. And they just pray it. It doesn't mean anything to them. They're not understanding what this prayer is is about. And uh, we're not going to break in break it down all right now. But just to give you a few of the things that you can see here. He said, when you pray, verse 2, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When you come into prayer, come into prayer with worship. Don't come into prayer complaining. That's what you can learn right there. Don't come into prayer and say, Oh, God, I don't understand why you're doing this. No. When you come into prayer, worship him. That's what he's teaching you to do. Worship him. You don't worship him by saying the same thing other people do. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the purpose of prayer. In heaven, the will of God is being done. We want to see the will of God done here on earth. So we pray to bring that will down here because he works through our prayers. So that's what that's about. It's not about us repeating that. It's about doing those particular things. Give us day by day our daily bread. Well, you can pray for the things that you need on a daily basis. And forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now this is not talking about sins that sent you to hell because we have been washed clean of those. But if we have committed sin against others or committed sin against God, then we need to come to Him and say, Father, forgive me of this sin. And in the same way, we need to go and, and forgive others. And this is taught in many of the other places where Jesus had, uh, has showed us that sometimes we receive forgiveness but then we don't go out there and forgive others. We saw that in one of the parables we also saw that in his example he did at the Last Supper when he washed their feet. And forgive us our sins, for, uh, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, God is not going to lead us into temptation, but if you, he's teaching you here, don't think that God has led you anywhere into temptation. That's not what God does. God does not lead you into temptation. He does not lead you into a place. James is, it makes that very clear. But there are some places that you will go. There will be a, temp, uh, a testing. And you may be in a place that you have to go where the evil one is, but God will deliver us from the evil one. Even if you have to go like Paul did. Paul had to go in a lot of places where the evil one was. But the Lord delivered him from it. Peter, John, many others, they had to do that. But we have to understand all of Jesus' teaching on prayer. So I wrote down some of the scriptures. And I want you to keep these in mind as we understand what Jesus is teaching us. The First off, we are to pray with the Holy Spirit in Romans 8 and 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So, we pray with the Holy Spirit. When you pray, you team up with the Holy Spirit. You listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will help you, will give you words to pray that you can speak. That's not just praying in tongues. That's Him leading you to pray in English so your faith can be involved. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on each of these verses. I just want you to see some of these things that were taught. In Matthew 6, 7, and 8, And When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask Him. Christians are very susceptible to repetitious phrases. You go into some churches... And they just uh, they'll say the same kind of words to God all the time. And this is the way that they praise Him. The same kind of words. There's no feeling to it. Sometimes that's not just uh, denominational churches. Even charismatic churches can can do that. How many times have you heard a worship service? And the people are sitting there in the audience. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Oh, praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you. If your kids came in from outside and they sat before you and they just said something like, Thank you, Mama. Thank you, Mama. Thank you, Mama. Thank you, Mama. went on for 15 minutes. How many of you would get tired of that? Wait, will you say something else? (laughs) But when we talk to God, we think we can talk this way. Don't talk that way. Don't run out of things to say. Just just speak to God. Don't feel like you have to pray. Oh, i got to pray for at least 15 minutes. I know some people, and don't raise your hand if you're one, some people they set out and they say, I'm going to pray an hour every morning. I don't do that. I don't set out to pray to God an hour every morning. That's not how I grow. How I grow is all day long to stay in communication with God. Something happens that I see out there, I talk to God immediately about it. All right, how am I supposed to understand that? Where is this in Scripture? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to say that? I'm constantly talk to Him. But I talk to Him about what's going on around me. We have conversations about this all day long. So I pray without ceasing in that I'm in constant communication. If something goes on, we talk about it. Well, I ask Him about it. If something comes to mind about Scripture, I ask Him about it. All right, I'm not quite understanding what's going on. I'm thinking there's more in, in this. Can you uh, give me more wisdom, wisdom on this? This thing over here. Uh, I think it was Smith Wigglesworth who said that he never prayed longer than five minutes at a time. But he also never let more than ten minutes go between prayers. He just was in always conversation with God. That's the kind of way you want to be. Don't get into vain repetitions. Don't be looking at saying, well, if I say this, then this will happen. No, don't get into vain repetitions is what he's saying. Even though he's taught that, many people get into vain repetitions and repeat the Lord's prayer. Even good words can become vain words. Don't let good words become vain words. Mark 11. You all know these verses pretty well. Mark eleven twenty-three, Pray with faith. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. But believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So believe in what you pray. You need, as a person, to believe in what you pray. Many times Christians pray too soon. They have a need and they just all all of a sudden out of their mouth pray, oh God, I need deliverance. I need help. I need whatever. They pray too soon. Don't pray words you don't believe. First off, get into the Word of God. Find out what's the will of God for me in this situation. What has He taught me about this? Get assured that you know what the will of God is for you That Brother Hagin used to always tell us, faith begins where the will of God is known. If I don't know the will of God, I can't have faith. Those prayers that people say, well, God, if this is your will, just let it happen. No, get that prayer out of your head. Find out what is God's will. God, is your will that this be occur? Is it your will that we change this thing? Find out what is the will of God. What does he desire? And then you pray it. But I don't pray something if I don't have the faith for it. It may not take you more than five minutes to get the faith for it. Maybe it takes an hour. Maybe it takes a couple of days. Whatever it takes, don't pray it until you get the faith. Well, you know, that's the direction I think we're going to go. I think that's what's in the word. But I want to make sure it's in the in the word of God first. And you're going to spend some time finding out what the word of God says. Make sure that you do that. Whenever you stand praying, I'm sorry, that jumped ahead too much. Verse 23 again. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, a lot of people go around speaking to a mountain, but a mountain's not moving around. Be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, but believes that those things that he says will be done. I have to get myself to the point that I believe that what I say will be done. Just because he said it will be doesn't mean that it will be. I have to believe that it will be done. So sometimes I need to go over the verses of Scripture. If yours is a healing issue, go over the verses of Scripture talk about healing. If it's a financial issue, go over the Scriptures and talk about finances. Whatever it might be, you go over the Scripture. Get assured, well, this is what He said. This is what I can believe for. This is what is mine. All right, I can I can believe for this. And then you step out and you do it. That's when you pray. Like I said, some Christians, they pray too soon. They just figure, well, this is what God wants. I mean, everybody else is healed, so I guess He wants me healed. He may want everybody else healed, but you got to know that He wants it for you. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. You believe that you receive them when you pray, not when you have them. A lot of times Christians want to go out and say, well, when I have it, when I feel healed, when the money comes in, then I'll believe. Well, that's ridiculous. Why in the world are you going to believe when you already got it? You don't need to believe then. You already have it. The believing comes in at the time that you're praying. Before I receive it. That's what he's saying in that verse. Believe that you receive them and you will have them. So the believing is present or past tense. I need to be in that place already. And the, the having will be in the future tense. I will have them. He says, I will. He goes on in verse 25, And whatever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. This is a big hindrance in prayer. And some people, they just want to ignore it. You cannot ignore this. If you are holding something against someone, you need to release it. Because it's going to hold back your prayers. Don't be doing it. Well, Father, I got a little bitterness towards that person over there because it's something they did. I'm just going to release that now. I'm not going to hold that bitterness because it's going to hold you back in prayer. Now, if you listen to that, uh, uh, teaching that Sister Lisa did the other day and she talked about her father, her, her real father going into the, the, uh, room with her mom and she said they weren't, she wasn't sure what was going to happen in there. Well, <laughs> he's going to take a pillow and smother her. <laughs> I thought that was kind of comical, but, she said, I don't know what happened in the room, but when dad came out, he said, everything's going to be okay. Now, she didn't give any more details than that, but my head begins to put things together, and immediately when I heard that, I heard it this way. She knew there was some unforgiveness between her and her ex-husband. She knew she needed to get him in the room, and they straightened it out, and they got that forgiveness going on, and they knew at that point, we don't have any hindrance now, and that's why he came out and said she's going to be okay. And why she was. That's how I saw that. That's how I heard it. I don't know if you heard it in that particular direction. But that's certainly the way I want it. Because I know that this can be a great big hindrance for people. You don't want these things to go on. Unforgiveness can block you from receiving the healing that you need. From receiving the miracle that you need. From receiving the finances that you need. Whatever the answered prayer that you need. Unforgiveness can hold you back from it. That's why the devil loves to keep you in that area. So that's the, that's the things he taught beforehand. And then on the basis of this, he goes and he teaches this parable. So verse 5, And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. All right. Well, it helps us to understand these things because there's some wrong teaching that has come out on this and people have believed that what you need to do is if you have not received what it is that you want to receive from God, that you're believing for from God, what you have to do is keep knocking on the door. Make yourself such a pain in the neck that eventually He'll just come to the door and give you what you want. Isn't that about right? Well, we've, we've had people teach us about that. But does that go along with anything else in Scripture? Is there any other place in Scripture where we can see this taught? No. Is there any place in Scripture where we can see that people did this? No. So if there's no one in Scripture who did it that way and no other place in Scripture teaches it that way, then what we have is a situation where we have been fed an interpretation of a right teaching that has been isolated from every other part of Scripture. Now, that, t- that kind of teaching, does the world agree with it? Sure does. Absolutely does. The world's fine with that. The world has a problem with people who can believe God for something. They have a problem with that. No, no, no. You just need to keep asking God and maybe He'll come along. Maybe eventually He'll answer you. That's the way the, the world can agree with that. So we're not separated from the world. We're not isolated. And there's no revelation on this at all. People are rationalizing this with their head. We are not isolating this thing. And it doesn't promote me to have a life of faith. So on those four areas that we showed you, it strikes out on all four. And that should alert us to the fact that that is not a right teaching. You see, if I accept a wrong teaching, then I'm going to put to practice a wrong teaching and I am not going to put to practice what he wanted me to do in the first place can you see how that will hinder your life so it's important that we understand these things so first off a friend of a traveler comes to a neighbor now I'm giving you some names on these guys because what we got here is that a friend came to a friend who went to a friend to get some bread and that can be a little confusing right so the last time I did this, I gave these same names and I can't think of any better names. So we're going to stay with the same names. The first friend, he's help. This is the guy who's going between. He's the help. He's getting help. We'll just call him Help. He knows his neighbor friend, we're going to call him Bread because he's got the bread. And then his other friend is hungry. That makes it a little easier. So we're just going to call him this way. We got Hungry, who's the guy who is traveling? We got friend. Oh, I'm sorry. We got um, uh, we got bread. Who's the guy who always has the bread? And we've got help, who's the one who is trying to get bread for the guy who needs it? All right. Now, hungry doesn't know bread. Bread doesn't know hungry. Can you pick that up from the story? Help knows hungry. Um, help knows hungry, and help knows bread. He knows both of them. But bread does not seem to know hungry. It comes at midnight. Now, that's important. Remember, this is the parable. Jesus made up all these aspects of it. He brought, he, he brought, the he came himself, he came to the house at midnight. How many of you have friends that are close enough who would knock on your door at midnight? How many have this? are not too many people that will come to your house and knock on your door at midnight, are there? There are not too many people that you will knock on their door at midnight, are there? Would you go over to your immediate neighbor and knock on their door at midnight? Now you would if their house is on fire. You would want to alert them and you would knock very, very loudly because that's that's a, a good reason to, to go over there and knock on the door. Hey, your house is burning up. <laughs> Get out of the house. You're trying to warn them. You're trying to, to help them on this thing. So you would go over there and you would bang very loudly. But just to go over at midnight and ask for bread hmm, not too many people are going to do this, right? So this help must know bread pretty well that he would come over and knock on the door at midnight and after he got a negative response, he keeps knocking. He keeps asking. Now here's here's a hidden gem on this thing that you can just read right on past. How is it that help goes to the door of bread and knocks on the door and asks him for bread. Now the reason that help does it is because help has no bread. Right? How does he know that bread has bread? How does he know that the, that the guy on the other side has bread? Because in his knowing of this, he knows bread Always has bread. If he didn't always have bread, there's no sense coming and knocking on his door. He may not have bread. But he always has bread. So this friend, the king, he needs bread. I know somebody who's got bread. I don't have any bread, but I'm going to go there and get some. Now how many loaves did he want? He wants three loaves of bread. Now you have to get out of our American thinking. We think, Amer- we think loaf, what are we all thinking of? I mean, you are thinking loaf? Is that like that? You know, that's what we think for a loaf, right? Yeah, that is not the case. A loaf here, what they're talking about, is what we would call like a medium sized roll. It's gonna be about that, that big. And it's big enough to feed one person. One person would eat a loaf. You came on in, if you were hungry, you would eat one. If you were out in the field, this is not my interpretation, this is what is written about the the folks in those days. If you were out in the field and you were working hard all day and came in from the field, you might eat two. How many did he ask for? Three. Why does he ask for three? I don't know if you asked that question, but I asked that question. Because whenever Jesus puts something in one of these stories, there's a reason for it. I don't know if I have the exact reason for it, but I have a reason, I think. Now, one thing that you'll notice is that in the Word of God, things are are very often in threes. We have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's in three. Some of the the fruits of the the Spirit or in the Spirit, we have righteousness, peace, and joy. There are a lot of times that we see things in the Word of God and they are teamed up in threes. And... That can be part of it, certainly. We have uh, not a spirit of fear, but we have a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Jesus came working miracles, signs, and wonders. So we see a lot of things come in threes. But we've got to think about the mentality of this particular culture, this Oriental culture that is there. And what you would do is when you have a guest in, You would not just want to present them with enough to get by. Surely one loaf would get you by until the next day. Until the normal day, you can go down to the store and get yourself some bread. You don't have to bother the neighbors and so forth, but he gets three because it is customary with the oriental uh, lifestyle that when you have a guest come in, you don't just give them enough, which would be one. You don't just give them enough if they had a hard day, which would be two. You give them three because that is abundance. In abundance, you are encouraging them to have all they want. If you just presented them with one, they would feel bad maybe about eating the whole loaf. By What if other people want to have some? Two the same way. But you give them three, it's basically saying eat as much as you want. I like that. I think that's probably the the, uh, frame of mind that he is thinking of here is you want to go in there with abundance. And he comes and he asks for three loaves of bread. Not one. And not two, not whatever you can spare. He asked for three. I want to present before him an abundance so that he can have all the bread that he wants to eat. And I know you got bread. And I want you to give me some. Now his persistence works towards a change in this story, right? Because he is persistent, it changed the mindset of the master in the home. And he said, you, I'm, I'm not willing to get up. And to, now, let me give you this part. I, I read this. It was very interesting about this part of the, in the household. And uh, the little children, when they're growing up, the real young ones, when they're young, they sleep in the in the bed uh, a lot of times with mom and dad. But as they get a little bit older, they sleep in the bed with the granddad. I thought that was interesting. I hadn't heard that before. They sleep in the bed with the granddad. And the reason for it is... Because it is the granddad's responsibility to teach them the Bible. And so the granddad would, as they're going to sleep at night, the granddad would tell them stories, Bible stories, stories of what God had done for the Israelites, stories of what God had done in their past. And then when they would wake up in the morning, he would ask them what they remembered. He'd quiz them on what he had taught them the night before. And so this is one of the things that had gone on. And um, I didn't know that about the but that's aside. That was the granddad's responsibility. So, if that is the case, and that's what he is enlightening here, it's the granddad in there—the guy who's teaching the, the word. That's the kids that are in the in the room there. But this this friend who comes in—who is this friend? Where does this friend come from? Jesus is teaching on prayer. The interpretation has to be about prayer. What we have taken from it is that God needs to be convinced to work on our behalf, especially. If we hit him at an inconvenient time. How many times have we gone into prayer. And we have said things. God if you're not too busy. God if you can just spare a little bit of time for me. Because our thinking. Is we are an inconvenience. To God. That's religion. Religion teaches you. That you are an inconvenience to God. That's not what the Holy Spirit teaches you the Holy Spirit teaches you that you are loved by God and that God cares for you a great deal. But religion teaches you that you are an inconvenience to God and maybe, maybe you might get one or two blessings here and there. But that's not what the Bible teaches. But here the persistent works to t- towards the change and so people have focused on the persistence and taught about the persistence and told you, you need to be persistent. If you want to get healed from that thing, you need to bug God about it every single day. If you need to get that financial thing taken care of, if you need to get that habit taken care of, if you need to get that thing changed in your life, you need to bug God about it every single day until finally He gets around to doing what you ask Him to do. So our misunderstanding is, you know, the teachings, keep on asking, just keep on asking. Uh, and also te- brings things like, well, sometimes God says no. You ever hear that one? Oh, I'll tell you, I... I hear people do this all the time. Well, God always answers prayer. Sometimes He says yes. Sometimes He says no. And sometimes He says wait a while. But He always answers prayer. Oh man, that is religion. That is not knowing who God is. They've taken a wrong understanding of God from this. They taught us that it helps to bother God until He finally does what you want. But God is not moved by being bothered. God is moved by faith. He's moved by faith. So what I need to look for is where is this situation in the Word of God? Because if I can find the situation in the Word of God, if I can find a situation where what is being described here by Jesus occurred, then I know how to properly understand what it is that Jesus is teaching. That's why I love to go And find the examples. And more times than not, you find examples in the Old Testament because the New Testament teaches more doctrine. The Old Testament teaches more lifestyle. How people lived out the things of God. So the Old Testament is great for that. Well, first of all, I put it this way. The the friend who is traveling, we call him hungry. Hungry is an unbeliever. Hungry is someone who is separated from God. Hungry is somebody who may have been a follower of God and turned away, but there is a rift between hungry and bread. There is a rift. And he does not feel like he can go to the guy who has the bread. Now, why does God have bread? And what does the Bible teach us about bread in the Word of God? Jesus is the bread of life. He who does not eat of my flesh has no part with me. Right? We do communion. We eat of the bread. The bread symbolizes two main things in the Word of God. First off, it symbolizes salvation. It is part of how we are saved. The second thing is healing. Remember what the the woman who was uh, trying to get Jesus to uh, heal her daughter... And she beseeched him and beseeched him and finally she she fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus says, what have I to do with you? The children's bread is not for the little dogs. The children's bread is not for the little dogs. Can you pick up a hostile attitude between Jesus and the woman in the area of giving bread? He's not willing, right? What's the woman say? Yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. Woman, because of the, your statement, because of your faith, your daughter as well. She got bread. She got bread. But he was not all that willing in the beginning, right? Now let me give you the best example in the Word of God. This is the best example you can see if you want to see this demonstrated. And that is Moses. How many times is Moses before an angry God who wants to wipe Israel out? Step aside. I am going to wipe these people out and I will make of you a great nation. How many times did God say that to Moses? And Moses interceded on behalf of the children of Israel. No, no, no. You don't want to do that. I I know you. You don't want to do that because people are going to say of you, you couldn't do it. You couldn't deliver the goods. And that's why you wiped them out here. You don't want that going on. You don't want your name drugged through the mud because of these people. I know you. And so he interceded until he got God to say, alright, I won't do it. I won't wipe them out. So he did did that on, on a number of occasions. He had to intercede for Israel because God is ready to wipe them out. One time there was a plague that had started. And Moses turned to Aaron and says, quick, Make the the sacrifice because the plague has already begun. And he had to intercede on behalf of the children of Israel before they were all wiped out. There was the snakes that came out into the land and began to bite the children of Israel. And so they said, "All right, we'll put this this snake on a pole and those that will be in faith and will look upon the snake on the pole, they will be healed. That's where they get the symbol for the doctor today. It's the snake on the pole. Took it right out of the Bible. Moses encountered a hostile God to the people of Israel. He was the friend who came at midnight and received the answer, No, I am not coming out with the bread. (laughs) And Moses says, No, but you will come out with the bread. And he began to give them the reasons. And they began to have a persuasive argument. And finally, God says, Alright, I will give you the bread for the children of Israel. And I won't wipe them out and we'll let them be healed or we'll let them be saved or whatever it was that was going on. That's one of the strongest examples that you can find and you can find it several places, but there's still another one. Do you remember when Saul missed it with God and God rejected Saul from being king and God selected another king and King David? And do you remember who was praying for Saul? Samuel was interceding for Saul because Samuel had a heart. Saul was the traveler. He was the hungry guy. Samuel was the help. He was the guy we called help. And he came to God to intercede on behalf of Saul. Do you remember the response that he got from God? Get up! Get up! I have, can't you see I have rejected Saul from being king? Now get up and go anoint another. He didn't hear it, that one. He didn't answer it. So see, I look for examples in Scripture that show me where is a hostile God towards an unsaved or backslidden or disobedient child of God. And who is the person in the middle? And that's where it is. That's going to tell me what this, what this is teaching. So the misunderstanding that we're supposed to keep on asking is wrong. Because this person in this parable is not asking for anything for himself. He does not need bread. The one who needs bread is the traveler. The one who needs Bread is the one we call hungry. That's who he's interceding for. Now then, he doesn't stop there. That's not the end of the teaching. He goes on. Look at verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For, it, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now, when you first read that, how many think that's reinforcing the same teaching that the religion taught you? Well, it says keep asking. I mean, it's right there in the script. It says keep asking, doesn't it? Keep asking. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, All right, we got to understand this. Now, what's what's going on with this particular scripture? What is Jesus beginning to teach us here? Well, first off, he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone, everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. What, you're, what we can miss out of this passage here is that there is a progression. First off, everyone asks God for things. Everyone does. You all know little kids are always asking for things, aren't they? Can I have a drink? Can I have a cookie? Can I have a snack? Always asking for something. I've related this story to you before, but... um, Brother Hagen used to tell us the story of Ken Jr. Ken Jr. had uh, asked for, uh, one particular night, he asked for a drink of water. And you may be able to relate to this. So he got up out of bed, went on down, got him a glass of water, and brought him a glass of water to drink because he was thirsty. So he gave him the, the drink. I don't know how old Ken was. I'm thinking somewhere seven, eight, nine, somewhere in that neck of the woods. So he gave him the water to drink, and he took a little sip. Thank you. And was going to put it down. And Brother Hagin said, Oh no. No, you, you asked for a drink in the middle of the night. You are thirsty. You will drink that whole cup. <laughs> he made him drink the whole thing of, of water. And he said, uh, he never asked in the middle of the night for a drink of water again. He's, he says, Sometimes kids will just do that, you know, that, Oh, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry to take a bite. And that is it. Everyone who asks, Receive. God is saying this, even though the people out there and they're asking all the time for stuff, God wants to give them to you. If we ask in faith, God's going to make sure that we get it. But He wants us to ask in faith. That's what we need to be, a, be doing. Everyone who asks, if I ask in faith, because I gotta understand His teaching in light of the other teachings He's already done. Now, I put, the, put this in your outline this way. Ask, this is a needs conscious level. I am conscious of what I need. Little kids, when they come to you, they are constantly conscious of what I need. I need a drink. I want a drink. I want a drink of milk. I want a drink of juice. I want, they always have something they want to get. And they they want to... You tell them, what can I have to drink? Or I want you to get the information for you. Look at this scripture again. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and the human knocks, it will be opened. Now, everyone who asks receives and he who seeks. That tells me right there, he who seeks. That means not everyone is going to seek. Not everyone is a seeker. A lot of people are askers. But not everyone is a seeker. Go back to the little kid example. Little kid comes in. Mom, I want a drink. What do you got? And mom goes to the refrigerator. I got some juice. I got some iced tea. I got some milk. Whatever it might be that you you have. Uh I'll do iced tea. And that's that's it. But as they get up and they begin begin to get older and they come in and say, Mom, what do you got to drink? What does mom say? Go look. Go look. Because they're big enough. So they open up the door for themselves, they look inside, they see what they get. They're removing them from askers to seekers. Isn't that right? You want to move them from askers to seekers. I want you to go out there and to, to seek this stuff and to find it on your own. Now, my best example that I've, I can think of in my life is uh, when we were going through school and we did tests. How many can you think back to school when you did tests? When you were taking a test, you want to ask what questions are on the test. Isn't that right? What questions are going to be on the test? Because I want to study those questions so that I can get the test right and I can get a passing grade or an A or a B or whatever it is that you're going for. You want to be able to do that. So you want to know what questions are going to be in there. So you ask questions to find out what questions are going to be on there. So you want to study all all the stuff that's in there. But eventually we can get out of the place where we're just askers and we become seekers. How many have a subject in school that took you from being an asker to a seeker? I don't just want to ask what questions are going to be in the test. i want to learn this. I want to understand this. For some people, it was math. Not everybody. Some people hate math. For some people, it was English. Oh, I love English. Maybe even writing. Maybe it's science. But, but there's some subject that was out there, and... M- You were beyond... I don't want to just know what the questions are on the test. I want to know the subject. I want to get into this. I want to understand this. My best example from my own personal life was when uh, I was in high school and I was studying my my, uh, concentration in high school leading into college was biology. I was studying everything I could on biology. In fact, my senior year in school, I had no English. Glory to God. No English. No math. I think there was one history in there because I liked history. I I still enjoyed that. I piled every bit of science in there that I could. I had every college prep course I could get on biology that if I passed the test, I could opt out of those courses in college as long as I aced it in, uh, in high school. And then I would be that much further along when I got there. So I put all my attention into that. I got into the science fair because the science fair was going to count for me too. And I put everything into, like that I could on that science fair. To this day, I still have the award that I got. I just went to the one science fair. They offered for me to go to another one. I didn't, I didn't uh, follow up on it. I didn't take it. But I went to the science fair, and the Navy gave me their first award for the science fair project that I had done. Still have their first Navy science award on that. They were impressed with the work, the, the, uh, some of the things that I had come up with, some of the discoveries I made. They liked that and so they wanted me to pursue it and to go into some other things, but uh, I never did get a chance to to do that, forget what the reasons were. But in one of the courses, I was studying microbiology and studying diseases and things like that. Fascinated me. Absolutely loved all these things and and all the stuff with viruses and all the stuff with, uh, 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 what do you call it? Um, Can't even think of the word right, right now. But the inoculations that people would get, there's a better word for it, and it is escaping me vaccinations Vaccinations. yep we studied all those things when they were real vaccinations not what they are now (laughs) but we studied all those and so i picked picked up the subject because we had to write what's called a term paper how many remember term paper they don't do them apparently anymore but a term paper we had to do a 50 page typed paper on a subject of our choosing and so this was i was doing this in microbiology and so i picked the topic of the bubonic plague i don't know why Grab me but I picked the bubonic plague and so I did a study of this and I this is back in the days when you had to check books out of the library go into card catalog system and find them in the card catalog system and then go find the numbering system and then find all the books and then check them out and then bring them at home and and I remember going to, to, to church with my dad for some of the things that he had to do and I'm carrying about a dozen books in my arms and I had checked out 30 40 50 books at a time and I'm I've got marks in all of them, and I'm reading all these different things, and I had absolutely no trouble writing a 50-page paper. In fact, I think I had to cut it back a little bit; it was a, it was a little heavy, on that. And I still, to this day, remember a whole lot of stuff on the bubonic plague. But I studied the the life out of that. You could say, <laughs> boy, I really tore into it, and I thoroughly loved it. I didn't care anymore about what was going to be asked of me. I was in search of knowledge. And that was the first thing that woke me up to search for knowledge. I became a seeker, and boy, could I ever attack that! I learned how to do some research. Still to this day, I love doing research. I just do research on, on things in the Bible and things that I get to bring into to you folks here. Absolutely love it. Love going into the Old Testament books and finding out some of the things, some of the history that had gone on before. They all all help us out. But we have to get from being an asker, this is just a needs conscious. And this is just people, Christians are going on through. Oh, I need more money. Oh, I need a better job. Oh, I need this pain to go away. Oh, I need to know this. Oh, I need to get rid of this. Oh, I need to have this. And they're just needs conscious. They're just going on. They're kind of like kids. You know, kids, when they're needs conscious, oh, I need a drink. And if right. And you, you know that if you wait five or ten minutes, they're going to forget. Because they don't really need it. They just ask. They just constantly want to ask things. Ask, 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 ask. Constantly asking. You ever have those kids who would ask you questions? Firing questions. Just one after another. Question, 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 question. I found out my defense for this because we had a couple of people in the family and they would do not, our immediate family, but um, nieces and nephews, things like that. They just bombard you with questions. Wouldn't even wait for you to answer the question fully before they were on to the next question. And so what I would do is I would bombard them with questions the most ridiculous questions I could think of because they're hitting me with ridiculous questions. So I just start asking them ridiculous questions. But then they start to think about some of the questions I was asking before they fired back some of their their other ones. And so we had a a little agreement here. Don't be firing questions at me because I'll fire them at you just as fast. (laughs) And so they began to slow down a little bit on that. But we had to get ourselves from being a place of an asker to a place of a seeker. I got to seek after God. So ask, this is a needs conscious level. I come after God for all the things that I need to live or my wants and desires. But, as, but the seek part, this is a hunger for understanding. I have a hunger for understanding level. I want to get to a place where I don't just ask for things, but I understand things. I understand what the Word is saying. I understand what the Word is teaching me. I'm an investigator going out there for, for clues. Proverbs eight seventeen. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. Well, if you don't seek Him diligently, where you find Him? Hebrews 11:6. But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. We need to not just seek God, but we need to do so diligently. We need to pursue it. I'm going to find out about God. I'm going to know some things here. The third level is the knock level. This is an enter into the chamber level I put in your outline. An enter into the chamber level. This is a knock area. If you go and knock on a door, there's two things you want to have happen. One, you want something that is on the other side of that door to come out. Or, you want to go in that door. Isn't that about right? If you were dating, and you would go and you would knock on the door of the house of the girl you're going to pick up. You are expecting... That upon knocking, someone answers the door and the girl comes out the door, right? We're expecting something to come out. If you go over to the neighbor's house and knock on the door because you need to borrow some sugar, some milk, something, then you knock on the door expecting something like that to come out to you. But the other way is, you knock on the door because they gave you an invitation to come over. And so you knock on the door expecting... To be able to get onto the other side and to get inside. When we knock, we are expecting to enter into the chamber. Or I'm expecting something in the chamber to come out. When this person in this, this story knocks on the door, they were expecting something on the other side of the door to come out, which was bread. We have to get to a place now where we're not just askers. I am not just a seeker. I'm not just somebody look at, looking to grow. But I'm a knocker. I'm going to come up to the door where God resides and I'm going to knock. And are two reasons that enter in. First off, to worship God more intimately. You're going to eventually get to a place in your Christian life where you're not just content with worshiping God on a shallow level. No, I want to go into the chamber. I want to knock or I want to receive what God's, what is needed for God's kingdom. That's another reason to come and knock. I'm not coming here for myself. I'm coming here for other people. I'm knocking on the chamber door because I want to receive something for someone else. There are people in this world that you can be helped for. There are people in this world that are hungry and there is a person who always has bread. And it's the bread of life. And you may have these people that are in your life, and they come and they come where you are, where you reside. They may come into your house. You have access to them in some way. You may work with them. But here they are. They have no access to God. God's either hostile to them. They're hostile to God. Whatever it might be, there's hostility that is there. And so they will come to you. And so you go to God. God, We've got this person over here. And there's hostility. Maybe there's hostility between God and them. Maybe the hostility is between them and God. What can I do? You come and you knock on the chamber door. God, I want to bring this one into the kingdom. What do I need? And God will help you. God will give you direction on what you can do. He's the one who's got the bread to help those people and get them out. Because if they're hungry, if they're unsaved, they're walking a wrong life. What they need is the bread of life. What they need is the bread that God has. Anybody ever see this movie when you were a kid? We watched it with with our kids were little. It was an older movie. It's called The Sandlot. Anybody remember that one? James Earl Jones is in it, and he plays a fantastic character. I absolutely love the character that he played in there. He's an old guy and had this house. And the movie was done. If you ever see it? it's a great movie to just kind of sit down and watch with the... Um, because it's done from a little kid's point of view. And they have this dog that's over there on the other side of the fence. And they're playing baseball on this side of the fence. And every once in a while, the ball goes on the other side of the fence. And they have to go get the ball. And sometimes they have to become seekers. We've got to find the ball. We've got to find out where the ball is. Because usually, I mean, these, these were poor kids. that didn't have a whole lot. They had one ball. But they lost the ball. Well, then it uh, was too too much. And one time, that the whole movie is uh, really about what happens one time when they got a very valuable ball. So if you haven't seen the movie, I don't want to spoil it for you. But they lost this particular very valuable ball and they needed to get that ball back. So it was going to take them from not just being seekers, but what had to happen was someone needed to knock on the door of the man who owned the house. And... They're little kids. The dog is huge. The dog is like nine feet tall. It weighs about 450 pounds. Uh, It just eats people. (laughs) This is how they envision the dog. Because they're little kids. This is how they envision the dog. And they envision the owner as some mean, angry man who would never help them out. But finally, this one guy came and he was not just going to be a seeker. We're not just looking for the ball. I need to knock on the door. Because I need to get to the other side. And I need to get where they are to get that ball. Because that ball is valuable. And so he drums up the courage. And he knocks on the door. And James Earl Jones answers the door. I didn't even know what his name was in the movie. <laughs> but as James Earl Jones, he answers the door in that very distinctive voice that he has. And he invites the young lad in and they have a wonderful conversation. And he does eventually get his problem resolved just in a different way than he thought he would get it resolved. And this man who was in the door was a big baseball fan, had baseball things all over the house and just loved that somebody finally came and talked to him. But you see, the kids had built him up in a certain way. No one can approach him. No one can go in there. This one guy finally got the courage and knocked on the door. We have to get to the place where we're not just coming to the throne room of God and asking for things because I need them. That's not what prayer is about. Prayer will take us to a place where we are a seeker. I'm not just happy with asking God for things I need in my life. I want to seek God. I want to find answers to His Word. I'm not satisfied with what religion has taught me about the Bible. I want to know what God intends to with the Bible. I want to know what he expects me to do with what I learned from the Bible. And then I eventually can get to the place where I've sought after him, I've learned about who he is, that I come and I knock on the door and I find out that not only has it been wanting me to come and knock on His door. In the movie, he was watching them play baseball and loved watching them play baseball. But they would never come to his door now someone did God wants us to come to the door he wants us to enter into the chamber he wants us to have more than just a relationship of when we have a need we ask him for it and then we go on about our day the word of God teaches us seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you I need to get beyond being an asker And you see, this man in the parable, he was beyond being an asker. He had sought after God. He knew the will of God. And he knows, now. you desire to give this person bread. I know you desire to give this person bread. I know it's so much. I have come here in the middle of the night and I have knocked on your door because I expect something from the other side to come out to me because I know you want them to have that bread just like Moses knew I know you don't want to wipe them out I know you don't want to wipe them out I know you love them he knew that about his God because he had gone from being an asker to a seeker and he sought after who his God was but then he came to the place where he was able to knock on the chamber door and when he came knocking he knew what God wanted on the other side And so it gave him boldness. No, no, I'm not stopping. I'm knocking, I'm knocking. Knock, knock. No, I'm not leaving here. I know you want to come out here and give me that bread. I know it. And so he stayed. Because he knew who his God was. That's where we have to get to the place of we have to understand where persistence is needed and where this is just unbelief. Cause sometimes people's persistence that they call persistence is just, just unbelief. When we're on ask, when we're on this level, I'm aware of my physical needs, but not my spirit's needs or those of God's kingdoms. All I know about is what I need. I need money. I need peace. I need joy. All I know is what I need. When we get on the seek level, on this level, I'm more aware of the kingdom's needs than my own. When I get in this level, I become more aware of what the kingdom of God needs than my own. When we get on the knock level, on this level, I go into the chamber with God to bring out what is needed in the kingdom. I'm beyond my needs. I'm not even there about I need bread. I'm not about I'm hungry. No, nope. beyond that, I go into the chamber to bring out what is needed for the kingdom. I know others can't get there on their own. So I go in there for them. You look at people like Moses, you look at people like Daniel, you look at people like Paul, they went into the chamber and they brought out things that the kingdom needed. Now, people will come away with a very different meaning than Jesus intended by simply taking one teaching out of the whole and coming up with their own meaning. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised about this. But in the same way that people will come away with a very different meaning than Jesus intended by taking one teaching like this and coming up with their own meaning. Don't be surprised when people spread their misunderstandings about you or the things that you say. How many of you have ever been in a situation where people have misunderstood the things that you have said? Misunderstood the things that you have done? Sometimes it can get us upset. Sometimes it can get us mad. But don't be surprised. If people constantly do it to Jesus, do it to God, do it to the things that they say, and do it to the things that they do. If they did it to Jesus here on earth, who is perfect in His ways, don't be surprised when they do it with you. Don't be bothered by it. People will do it. The devil will try and get you under condemnation. Well, you should have said that differently. Well, if you just would have done that a little bit differently, you wouldn't have been a hindrance to them. Make sure you do things the way the Word of God teaches you, but then don't be surprised when people misunderstand it. Most people never step into a seeker's level, and fewer still will get into the knock level. They're just askers. You're going to have a whole lot of people in your life that are just askers. They're always going to be asking for stuff. They'll ask of you of stuff. They'll ask God of stuff. Well, what you've got to do is pursue into the kingdom. God, how can I make this person go from being an asker to being a seeker? Seek after things on, this, on their own. Isn't that what you try and do in the natural? You know when the little kid's are little? Mom, can I have five bucks? Dad, can I have ten bucks? Mom, can I have twenty bucks? They want to go out and they want to do something. As they get older, those amounts become bigger. They have larger amounts that they want to uh, to ask you for. But your goal as a parent is, no, I don't want you to come asking me for these things. I want you to go out there and to seek them. Find yourself a job. Find yourself a thing that you, can, that you can do. And so that begins to come to you. And then they begin to seek after what they need. But that's not the only place that you want them to stop, is it? Where else do you want them to go? You want them to be able to go and not only seek... But you want them to knock on the door of opportunities and get themselves into a place where they can take care of a family. They can raise a family and they can do the things for that family. Same thing that you did with your family. You want to get them to that level. God wants to get us to that level. And He's been doing things in your life to get you from being an asker to being a seeker to being a knocker. But we have to respond to Him. We have to go the way that He wants Don't take these Don't take these interpretations that people throw out and just swallow them. Compare them to the Word. Look for misunderstandings. Don't let them settle into your life. You can drive them out. You have a misunderstanding of the Word of God, you will do the wrong things not even intend to, but you will do the wrong things. Become a seeker. God, I want to find out is this really true? Is this really right? Would you all stand up for me? Father, I thank you that you can take us from the place we are when we first got born again of being an asker and we come to God and we ask for all sorts of stuff. But you teach us how to seek after God, how to seek after the things of God, how to seek after understanding, wisdom, knowledge, and how to put it into its proper use. Then you want to take us to a place where we feel perfectly comfortable coming up and knocking on the door even when it's midnight because we know the God who's on the inside. I thank you that you are a God who cares and that there may be people in this world that have put a barrier between them and you. But we can be the intercessor who stands in the gap and helps them. Brings them the bread they need. That they too can have the life of God in them. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, glory to God. Glad to have you all here today. We have a um, a video teaching coming out for you tomorrow. It's kind of along some of these lines. Uh, he gets into it a little bit different. I can't have him able to find any more than one of these. I'm hoping that there's there's more out there. It is a very old video of Brother Fred Price. And it's from the series that I've told you about many times. Faith, foolishness, or presumption. It's one that he did in his own church. And he uh, deals with some of those things that as we live the life of faith, that sometimes we fall into doing things that are very foolish or even presumptive. So he's, uh has a lot more teaching on than just the one. But that's all I've been able to find so far. But that one is up there. He is a very young Fred Price, and I love young Fred Price videos. They're some of my favorite. So that's uh, up there now. You don't have to wait till Monday. It's up there on the on the YouTube channel now. You can go up there and to listen to that. On uh, Wednesday, we're back into Nehemiah. We're looking at some of the things with... Uh, this last one is we we're introducing it that I think will be helpful for you. If you haven't been up there, you can go up there and you can listen to that. It's on the YouTube channel as well as uh, on the podcast and things like that. So if you have any trouble finding some of those uh, teachings, things that are there. Make sure that you let me know. We'll help you to to get there. And um, I think that's a that's about it. But that's Wednesday at 7:30. If you can't be here, you can always tune in online. It's great to have you here with us today, and joining in with us. Looks like we still got some uh, rain holding off. Make your trip home a little bit easier.